With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another episode of the AI Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Prescott, and joining me as usual is Tom. Tom, how are you? Yep, it's, uh, I'm good. It's good to be on. It's good to be doing this again. So uh, uh, it's been a long international break. They always are long, but this one has felt even longer. So hopefully we'll get back to some quality content on the pitch as well as just off it. Yeah, we've got obviously a big stretch of games now coming out for Liverpool and, and it's kind of the defining moments of the of the title race. So it should be a really, really interesting watch. And today we're going to be discussing it with Dave. Uh, Dave, how are you? I'm good, yeah. Um, obviously, we're coming up to um, our first match in a couple of weeks at the weekend. I'm sort of in a position where I'm like half excited, half nervous. But <laughs> um, but yeah, it'll be good to get the, uh, the Premier League back. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also joined by Adam Patricione, who is a regular... Um, Adam, how are you? I'm doing good, Leanne. Thanks for having me on. Happy to celebrate the last couple of weeks on the same continent as you guys before you cut the rope. <laughs> yeah, let's let's steer clear of that issue at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we'll get straight into it. So obviously, Dave, uh, you've written a really good article, kind of looking at Liverpool and and how we can cope with fighting on two fronts. Uh, that being the Premier League title race, obviously, and of course the the Champions League, which is going well at the moment. Um, so do you want to kind of take us through your article, your thoughts on on how Liverpool look to deal with this issue? Because a lot of people have said that the Champions League is is kind of getting in the way of the domestic title challenge at the moment. So just interested to see what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that it's been um, something that's been talked about quite a lot this season. Like I remember as far back as the autumn, like Gary Neville, um, I think it was the the main one putting the argument forward that we might have to sort of sacrifice our Champions League ambitions if we want to uh, maximise our Premier League chances. Um, so yeah, the article sort of looks at this idea that our ambitions are interdependent. And um, I found when I was looking looking through the fixtures that potentially four out of our remaining seven league games might have a might be straight after a Champions League match. So obviously it is a pretty important issue for us. Um, so what I did was I looked at whether, like historically, I think I did since the quarterfinal with City last year, um, like seeing how the Champions League games affected our domestic performances and results. And I found that there was only a very slight dip. I think it was 0.1 point per game dip. Compare that to City, which was a 0.2 dip. So obviously slightly larger, but we know that they have the depth and the quality in their squad where it's not really going to be as big an issue for them. Um, so yeah, I basically came to the conclusion that it was quite a controversial conclusion, I thought, because it's obviously a Champions League quarterfinal, that we should cons- seriously consider resting some big players for the Porto match. And then obviously after that, you can't rest anybody else because thinking about doing that um, in the last four of the Champions League is like ludicrous. And then 
um, if we do get past Porto. Um, like one of the final things I considered in the article was this potential scenario where we have um, before the Newcastle game, which is obviously the penultimate game of the season, we'd have the first leg against potentially Barcelona. And then before the final game against Wolves, which might be a title decider, um, we'd have the second leg. So I was just thinking, you know, in that 10, 11 day spell, the, the level of emotion, the level of pressure on the squad would be unbelievable. So it is really a, a great situation for us to be in because I think we have a really good chance in the Champions League genuinely. But obviously for us, the main thing is to get the monkey off our back in terms of winning the Premier League. So basically it's just going to be a hugely like emotional period for, for Liverpool fans. And it's important for the players to try and um, stay on top of it. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because obviously, as we've we've alluded to there, the Champions League kind of started off with this narrative that it was a distraction. Um, you know, coming into the season, a lot of people maybe didn't expect Liverpool to be in the position that they are, especially given how good Man City were last year. And I think the consensus began to be that the Champions League was was taking away from that, and it wasn't helped by the fact that Liverpool couldn't perform away from home. It was talk of you know travel sickness in Europe, was how the the media were putting it because of how poor the performances were, because of how poor the record was, and that kind of fed into this narrative that we should just ditch the Champions League. Um, and so, Adam, what I kind of want to ask you is is how do you feel that that narrative has changed, or do you feel it's changed because? We'll come on to Bayern in a minute, but especially that that's the kind of game where you're looking at and thinking, what a performance that can carry you for a couple of games in the Premier League, give you such a boost. So has that narrative of, of the Champions League being a, a distraction gone away or are you still very much in the in the camp that, you know, it's, it's all about the Premier League, we need to put all our eggs in one basket? Well, you know, I, I, think, I think the next two weeks is really going to tell you what... Sort of where our focus needs to be, and if it was right to sort of focus the season down to these two competitions or not, you know, I guess I guess the good news is in the span of the next two weeks between the 31st against Spurs and the, and the 14th against Chelsea, both at Anfield um, with the home leg against Porto, and then Southampton away sandwich in between. Uh, if we can win all four of those, then I think City have an enormous amount of pressure on them, and that's. Um, that's where they come into the top part of their schedule, sort of in the middle of April there, where they start playing. They play like 18 different matches against Spurs, and then they have United at Old Trafford in between there somewhere. So, um, you know, we it really the the Chelsea and the Spurs match for us are critical. We get those two, and then hopefully cruise against uh, Southampton and Porto. Then. <laughs> We just we just have to go out and win those matches against the rivals rather than play it tight like we have in sort of earlier uh, months of the season, um, you know. So that'll be something to look forward to this weekend is how we come out against Spurs. But you know, overall, after the middle of April, after we get through this stretch, I don't really see the challenges of anything so out of the ordinary for us as long as we set ourselves up well now and then. The contrary to that is that if we if we drop points here, if we drop points against these teams in the stretch of two weeks, then that basically settles it, and then we focus on the Champions League. So, you know, I think this is really sort of the gut check time, and then everything will have a lot more clarity towards the middle of April. I think I think there's a couple of things to sort of look at here. I think the first thing to sort of note is that you know the buying performance was unbelievable, but then that clearly took its toll. 
I mean, you look at that Fulham game. We were we were not good. That's that's the thing there. You know, we scraped uh, we scraped a win, playing pretty averagely against one of the worst teams in the league. And that is, you know, you can't have it both ways. There is going to be some fallout, and you can't have a performance like a Bayern performance, in my opinion, without without the knock on effect of a Fulham performance. The question that you're looking at now over the next sort of six weeks is where can you afford a Fulham performance and where can you how can you mitigate against it? And I think, you know, there's a few things that kind of work in our favour. So as Adam's mentioned, you know, you've got the Porto first leg is five days before the Chelsea home leg. So that there's one one of those European games that automatically you can look at and go, okay, we're probably going to be able to get away with that one especially when you consider Chelsea having an away game two days after we do in Prague so that's okay that's fine that's one game where we can sort of mitigate against and then you're looking at the Porto second leg and that's before Cardiff away and now I I genuinely think we need to really do well in that Porto home leg first because that's the big advantage there if we can beat Porto 3-0 at Anfield we take a lot of pressure off that second leg and if we can take the pressure off that second leg we can mitigate against needing to turn in a Bayern performance because that then has a knock-on effect to making the Cardiff performance just giving it a little bit more leeway because I genuinely think Cardiff away is going to be a trickier game than a lot of people are giving it credit for when you consider that Cardiff at that point will almost certainly be in a situation where they're still alive they might not be they might be in trouble they might be on the brink of relegation but there's no chance they're going to be dead and buried before we play them so there's going to be a lot riding on that game for them as well so I think for me the Porto away leg is the big one that we need to try and mitigate against Um, and then of course you're looking at the semi-finals and I think when you get to the semi-finals it's a completely different kettle of fish but at that point I think we can just about get away with it because assuming Barca win as you said that Newcastle match that that is the sort of game where we we can afford a full and performance because as, as I've said and as I'll keep saying I don't think Newcastle are going to do anything to try and stop us winning the league because they're going to be safe. They'll be on the beach by then. And as I've said before, you know, with with regards to the the Wolves second the Wolves game at the final game of the season which could be after a Champions League semi-final second leg, I think if we get to the point where we need to win our final game at home at Anfield against Wolves with the crowd behind us, we'll find a way to get over the line. Um so I think, you know, that's my sort of take on each individual match, but I think the Cardiff one is the big one that we need to be looking at and saying we can't, because that's the issue for me, we can't prioritise at this stage. We, I think, you know, when you've got Porto in the quarterfinals, that is a, a real opportunity to basically say, we can take this as it comes now. Because I think taking it as it comes has always been Klopp's approach. And there's been points where people have said, and I mean, I, to be fair, I've been one of these people who have said, sooner or later, we might need to pick a, make a choice. But with the Porto game, hopefully that means we can just push it back a little bit further. You know, if we take the first leg as it comes, we've got, the capacity there with the way the fixture schedule is to take both the first to take that first Porto leg full throttle and then that gives us the opportunity to rest for the second leg hopefully but obviously we'll see what happens when we get there yeah I think I think it's interesting and Dave I'll come back to you on this one because obviously in in your article you're looking at kind of the correlation between the Champions League games and the league results and I think it's it's really interesting so I'll, I'll get you to kind of talk that through in a minute and and also I, I kind of want to gauge your thoughts because I would personally be of the opinion that although the you know the Champions League we're at a stage where neither competition can be taken for granted where there is really no easy game in the Premier League as Fulham kind of showed that was supposed to be a very easy three points for Liverpool it didn't pan out that way okay we come away with the win but you know it was a, a kind of signal and a warning 
of the fact that you can't really take these games for granted. And of course, that's that's the exact same with Porto. Porto is a good draw for Liverpool. Is it an easy draw? Absolutely not. So I just want to see kind of what you think in terms of the two competitions because Liverpool and, and Liverpool fans are all Liverpool fans. We want to see Liverpool winning some silverware this season, hopefully. We've got a great chance to do it. But is it a case of we've waited for so long to see Liverpool in and amongst the trophies, to see Liverpool vying for these trophies, and now we've got a chance and we're in two competitions, two very, very competitive competitions and yet now we're saying let's drop one yeah i think it's it's sort of that idea that you know you wait you wait so long for for something and then two come at once that that's what it feels like um and then it creates a different kind of dilemma i just think though that you know if you take any club um any other club they look at the champions league and say it's like the pinnacle of club football so you know that is the ultimate goal for us obviously and it'd be like slightly above the league, but because of, you know, as, as I say in the article, us not having won the Premier League is a massive mark against our name as like one of the biggest clubs in the world. So that puts us in a sort of unique situation. But I think there's, there's like a, an obsession with winning the Premier League. And I think because of that, you know, it's easy to underestimate what winning the Champions League would mean. I mean, it is in a way, the best team, it's only the best teams in world football who win that competition. And, you know, I think now that Real Madrid have fallen and having won it, obviously the last three years, there's a sense that it's a lot more open now and we shouldn't neglect the opportunity. And it would, it would admittedly be quite strange if, you know, we miss out on the league, especially if it's towards the end. And then the Champions League almost serves as a sort of consolation. Um, because obviously the league is so important to us. Um, but my main, my main thought on it is, you know, we can't neglect the Champions League. We have to think of it as like a fantastic opportunity because if you look at it, you know, City prob- are a better team than us, in my opinion. But we saw last season that we have our sort of European pedigree gives us an advantage. And I think we're very close to being able to match Barcelona and Juventus. Realistically, I think it's going to be between those four sides. So I think we've got a very good chance. And, you know, you could argue that it's a similar chance to what we have in the Premier League because City, I think, won about 17 games in a row last season. Who's to say they're going to drop points again? I mean, even their games against, um, you know, the top level opposition, they tend to come through those relatively easily. And even if they do drop points, they're relying on us picking up, probably winning at least, at least six and drawing one and in all likelihood winning seven. So. So, yeah, I don't think the Champions League should be underestimated and our opportunity to win it. And it's and it's in our control, too. That's You can't underestimate that. I mean, the Champions League, we can dictate what happens there. And in the league, it's unfortunately not under our control. Um, you know, unless, uh, unless City get a points deduction, which uh, <laughs> would make all of us really happy. But uh, it doesn't look like it's on the cards from what I've read so far. Um, I was just going to briefly give a, an overview in terms of the numbers, um, just because it's it's interesting because a lot of people again say that you know the Champions League is a distraction, but actually, what you've done, Dave, in the article is in Liverpool, sixty nine league games since the start of the two thousand seventeen eighteen season, they've averaged two point two points per game in the twelve that we've that you've looked at, they've averaged uh, two point one, so it's it's a very very significantly smaller deficit than 
than people kind of expect there to be in terms of having that Champions League game going back to the league and, and kind of being pulled left, right and centre. It actually doesn't seem to, on paper, be affecting Liverpool too much. And I think that's kind of, at least in terms of this season, that brings me on to the, the next kind of thing. Where Liverpool are right right now, where Liverpool are at this stage in the season with seven games to go, okay, the you know the title's not in their hands anymore. It's, it's up to City to make a mistake and, and for Liverpool to be there to capitalise on it. But that's all about momentum. A title run, a title challenge, it's all about momentum. And these moments where you, you know, you beat Bayern at the Allianz Arena, those moments can make or break you. It's momentum or it's a hangover and the tiredness from going out into to Germany or to Portugal, wherever, and, and getting that win or getting that defeat and, and bringing it home. And they think where Liverpool are right now with the title, they need that momentum. They need those games. They need to keep pushing forward on all fronts. Um, and, and it kind of in some ways comes back to these mid-season breaks where Liverpool go off and they've got a couple of weeks and, and it kind of seems like they've got too much time to think about things. Then it gets into their heads about all this pressure and then things start to fade away. Um, so I, I guess I kind of want to see, and Tom, I'll go to you first, what your thoughts are in terms of specific to this season because that average points isn't really that different. Is it a case of Liverpool need momentum right now and, and this is an opportunity for them to establish some rather than rotate, keep ringing the changes and, and not really building up ahead of steam? I don't know. I think I think there's a case for both, right? And I think it just depends on the situation. Um, I think the buy-in win is obviously one where we would have come off of that feeling really good and we would have carried that in, but we certainly didn't play like that against Fulham because clearly against Fulham we were knackered. And I mean, that's the thing. It just depends on the type of performance as well. And I think a lot of it's about energy. If we go into a game uh, and we, so for example, say we play Porto and we beat them 3-0 at home and we don't have to expend a lot of energy to do so because they don't do a lot of running in their midfield. Um, that's an example. I'm not, you know, I haven't looked at Porto's running stats. That's just a hypothetical. But, and then we can come off of that result having not clocked up loads of air miles, having not clocked up loads of legs on the body and then we go on to Chelsea and we feel really good and we go and win that one. That's great. On the other hand, if we, if we go to Porto and we've got to deal with the fact, because I think there's certainly an argument to be made that the positive mental side of it from a sense of that, you know, creating that winning mentality can power, can pull you through. Um, but equally that certainly will be offset against the physical problems, which you will face by playing a playing more games in a short space of time and B you know, having to fly as well, which is never a good thing. And the other thing is, it can disrupt training as well. Um, you know, some of this is tactical, and some of it is to do with the fact that, you know, you've got a team like, for example, Cardiff, who they're not going to be playing in the Champions League. They're going to have a whole week where they're only wearing training. All they're going to be working on tactically is how are we going to try and get something off Liverpool. That's going to be their sort of goals, whereas from Liverpool's perspective, we don't touch down. We we'll probably won't be back in the UK until Thursday. We almost certainly won't be training until Friday. So we're going to have, what, two two days to sort of actually look tactically at what we're going to do against that Cardiff game. Whereas if put the Porto game to one side, I'm not, I don't think Klopp will, will sort of work on the Cardiff game before the Porto second leg. But there's an opportunity there for you to sort of treat it a little bit differently. So maybe leave one or two key players at home and sort of say to them, we're going to start some tactical work on the Cardiff game. We're going to start thinking about the Cardiff game beforehand. Um, so I think there are certain benefits to both. Um, and I just think it's a, it just depends on the circumstances, doesn't it? You know, um, if there's a game where the sort of the euphoria of winning it 
Because here's the thing, if we beat, say for example, we beat Porto 3-0 at home, and then we go and we beat them 3-0 again away, I'm not sure that 3-0 away win is going to really boost the lads that much compared to, say, like, again, just playing out for a 0-0. Um, so, I, you know, it just depends on the circumstances. For, uh, to throw another example of it, if we go and beat Barcelona in the new Camp, that's going to be a really interesting one to look at the Newcastle game afterwards for that sense of we've got to, you know, go to Barcelona and then win at the new Camp, and that's going to take a lot out of them versus, as you say, the euphoria of winning it. I think there's some evidence this season, a bit of both. Um, I certainly don't think you can ignore the fact that last season we... Last season's a weird one because in half of the games, we certainly, we did struggle, but we, we went full reserves in the Premier League because we did prioritise the Champions League. And that's an example of how if you fully prioritise one competition, you are going to struggle in the other one because you can't just throw in a, a mismatched team and expect to win. But then equally, a lot of the games that we did play were against top six opposition and were away from home so they were games that we would have struggled in anyway so it's kind of tough to tell this season i think there's certainly evidence that we've been able to get results and i think that's been i think that's to be honest that's kind of helped the fact that we're in a situation where as a club we're getting better at winning games anyway definitely helps the post champions league hangover a bit dave for you is there a, an easy case for you to kind of pinpoint where you think liverpool can let up because as we've kind of alluded to and, and touched on Cardiff, you even say it in the article, you know, it's it's kind of a similar game to Fulham. They're probably fighting for their own survival. It's it's not necessarily a, an easy three points for Liverpool. So is there a case for Liverpool to let up somewhere or, or is it, you know, we just have to keep, it, it's that stage of the season, you have to just keep slogging along because um, I think Tom was the one who mentioned it earlier, but it's it's almost like it's the best case is to go out all guns blazing against Porto first leg, get the job done, second leg, be able to take your foot off the gas. But if that doesn't happen, where for you is is kind of the, the crunch point where Liverpool maybe have to be looking to mix things around just to keep it fresh? Well, it's obviously a very, very difficult one. Um, we could find ourselves with a bit of a dilemma in that part of match, but Honestly, I can only see that tie as an opportunity to to rest players. And I think Tom mentioned that we might have like a five five day gap between Porto and Chelsea. But um, I think from a physical standpoint, that's obviously like ample recovery time. But I'd be looking at mental fatigue as well as a factor because you know I think the players need um, a rest to keep them you know mentally fresh. I think the the environment at the club, um, you know if we sustain this title challenge and sustain our Champions League hopes is going like the pressure is going to be off the charts really, um, regardless of of whether the fans um try to keep a lid on it or not. Um so I'd be looking at potentially you know, I think we're good enough with all all due respect to Port, I think we're good enough to get a very very solid result in that first game without one or two key players. Um, so I, I'd, I'd consider resting players in the first leg, which is risky, but I think it's a risk worth taking. And then in the second leg as well, you know, if if we line up in the second leg with a lead and Virgil Van Dijk's playing, I don't think we're going to lose that lead if it's like a, a two goal advantage. So, so those are the games that I'd be looking at. I don't see any other opportunities really, because obviously in the Champions League, once you progress past the quarterfinals, it's you know, you've got your eyes on the prize at that point. And then there's no there's not really any excuse for Klopp to uh to rest domestically. But I think it's valid also what Tom said about Klopp's like game by game approach. So, you know, I 
might have this assumption that they've got this sort of grand strategy laid out, but I think he will sort of take it one match at a time and see how it pans out. Yeah, that's that's kind of been the course of the season. So I, I agree. I imagine that's how he's going to take it. Um, Adam, for you, just just a brief one in terms of obviously Liverpool going to be back in action um, over the next couple of days, and and we've got the news that Joe Gomez, Oxley Chamberlain, Dejan Lovren, they're all going to be back in contention now. And so, how how important in terms of looking at how Liverpool can handle these two competitions? How important is that? Because Oxley Chamberlain, we've we've spoken about him plenty of times before about how he might not be back to his best until next season, but there is still an option for Klopp to bring him on with you know five ten minutes left. He can maybe do something defensively. Liverpool have been pretty thin on the ground at times this season. Um, if if Joel Matip picks up an injury suddenly, now we've got someone who can actually come in. Um, so for you, how important are these players to to the overall you know dilemma that Klopp has got here? Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be super interesting to watch how uh, Klopp manages the squad over the last few weeks just because, you know, it's really, it's not just, it adds a little bit to it that you've got these players coming back from injury, but he's also got several players that, um, <laughs> you know, have gotten a lot of fanfare for, for not getting much action, notably Nabucada, but, you know, a lot of these guys, he's really got to work them back into the um, rotation as well. So just it, it's going to be really interesting to see how he does that. And um, certainly uh, I agree with Dave. I think Porto uh, is a great situation. You know, you would think even if we roll out uh, a team with a lot of players that haven't gotten a lot of minutes in the leg at home and at Anfield, um, even if that ends up being a disaster, you would think that we're strong enough to go and get it in the in the away leg. So, you know, so I agree that that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think that the Oxlade Chamberlain thing, and we've been talking about this for about a year now. Um, that it's pretty much a fantasy that he's really going to come back and play a significant role before the season's over. I just I can't imagine that. Um, you know, Gomez is a little bit different. It's obviously different positions on the field. You know, I, won't, I won't go into a right back rant with them, but uh, you know, you just if if he can help out at all at either position, you know, there's there's talk of Trent maybe not being ready for this weekend. Um, so whatever Gomez can give you at either center back or right back would be um, a bonus there. And then yeah, that's uh, uh, you got to figure that Klopp has got to use some of that depth that has just sort of been collecting dust over the past few weeks <laughs> you, you, you got to figure that he's going to be able to use that um over the next uh over this really the stretch that we're the critical stretch that we're talking about so <sighs> good luck to him it's not it's not easy but yeah both with players that he hasn't been using and with these guys that are just coming back from injury i'm sure lavern is chomping at the bit to play as well and i, I don't know if there's really a spot for him so um you know, you, you got to hope these guys stay healthy as well. Hopefully, there's not really a reason to bring these guys in. But um, as Dave's saying, I, I think that there are opportunities to rotate in, and um, I think it all points to Porto. I think I think we'll see the rotation in mostly the midfield, but we'll see what we we'll see what we've seen for the last sort of few months, which is that you know we've got realistically ten players in this team who are going to be expected to start ninety percent of the games. We've got between 9 and 12 games left, I'd expect Salah, Mane, Firmino to start at least 8 of those next 9. I'd expect 
uh, Van Dyke to start all nine. I'd expect Allison to start all nine. I'd expect Robertson to start all nine. I'd expect Trent to start seven or eight. Um, so, you know, it, the scope for rotation is going to be in the midfield where you, even then you'd say I'd expect Fabinho and Gini to probably play at least seven each. It's just sort of between that third spot. And also, you know, when you need to potentially rest Genie for a change, when you need to give someone like Trent a, a, a week off. So it, I think when we're talking about rotation, it, we, it's going to be fairly minimal anyway. It's just the case that we need to try and pick the right games to rotate the right players in. When you talk about Lovren and, you know, Joe Gomez, I don't think he's going to play. I think it would be extremely foolish to throw him back into the mix. Um, when we've got Yol Matip, who's playing about as well as he's played in his career, and Lovren, when he's been called upon, has been fine as well. So there's no need to throw Gomez back in there when, to be honest with you, as much as I like Gomez, I'm not sure that throwing him in before he's had a full preseason is a good idea. I'm not sure he's going to be able to get back to his best. And it's the same with Ox, you know. These are two players that... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, huge, I'm a huge Joe Gomez fan, but I'll, I'll agree with you there, Tom, that like, even if he regressed to how he played last year, which was still at a high level, but he made some mental errors from time to time. Um, you know, if that happens in a situation down the stretch here, that's going to be absolutely killer and it would probably hurt his development as well. So it's, it's, it's a tough situation, but, but, you know, if Trent is, if he is having back issues, he might be forced in, into a situation where he's a right back. I think it will be Milner to be fair ahead of Gomez. That's just nailed on for me. Um, although I suppose it depends on how fit Gomez is. But yeah, for me, you, you know, you've got two players there in Gomez and Oxlade Chamberlain. You've got to be thinking to those lads, we're in March and neither of them have played football in this calendar year at all. And neither of them have been fit in this calendar year. Just, they, they're not coming back in before the end of the season unless it's for cameos in games that we've already won. Because it's just, there's no point. You're not going to get the best out of either of them. And I'm not sure to be funny. I don't, we can't afford to be pissing about. At this stage in the season, you cannot afford to be throw in a Hail Mary unless you're absolutely desperate and let's both those players are a Hail Mary they could come in and they could do their ACLs because that's sort of like level of sort of injury problems that they've been having recently and could easily be going in and doing and equally they could just be terrible I think you know and those are the two most likely scenarios there and that's no disrespect to either player because I think they're important players and if they were players like for example even a Sturridge I'd be saying yeah who cares like they're not going to play a part if they're not going to play a part in the future of future of Liverpool Football Club. By all means, use them as a hail mary, use them as a a move. But these are two players that we want to see in August and September starting regularly, so we can't take any chances with them because not not only is the risk too great for the individual players, but the risk is too great for the team. That's just my take. As I said, I think with the rotation, you know, you've got Lovren to fill in for Matip. There's no need for Gomez. You've got the midfield, you've got Cater, you've got Lalana, you've got Shakiri. He's not just going to throw Ox in there, I don't think. He might. I mean, you know, we don't know. Klopp's made a, a few strange decisions this year. A lot of them justified. A lot of them have panned out. A lot of them haven't. But there's no two ways about it that throwing in Ox would be a colossal risk and an unnecessary one, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Dave just to round off before we move to Adam's article and, and kind of just come back in and, and hone in on the article because... I'll, I'll come back around to the idea of, of momentum. Liverpool have wanted to be in and around the silverware and, and vying for those titles for so long. People went into the Bayern game and, and they said that the Champions League was a distraction. Then we win. That win is, is a brilliant win. Brilliant, complete European away win. The euphoria of that is, is huge. And OK, the performance against Fulham 
wasn't the best, but we did dig through. We did get the three points. And, you know, I, I think there's a real chance in the Premier League and the Champions League. Liverpool could win both. Liverpool may win neither. Liverpool could win one. We just don't know. But surely they've got to go for this, Dave. Surely now is kind of the time where Klopp's just got to put all his eggs in every basket and just say what will be will be. You know, this is this is why he's gone out and bought players like Fabinho and Cater and, and added to the squad. Yeah, I think you're right in, in the sense that it's, it's definitely too risky to go um, all in on on either composition, really, because if that backfires, then it could be like the defining moments of Klopp's tenure. Um in terms of the momentum argument, I think that's it's a pretty good point because, you know, say at the end of the season, if we go into that game against Wolves, having just knocked Barcelona out of the Champions League, I mean, the level of confidence there would, you know, would probably be enough to um, sort of exceed the, the level of pressure, I'd say. And That'd be I, a nice match to be at, huh? Yeah, and I think even the Although the Fulham game might sort of counteract the momentum argument, I think if you look at that game specifically, without the without the error that Van Dijk and Allison made, and without some poor finishing from us when um, we were totally dominant in the match, it could have ended up looking like an easy win. Um, and then maybe then we'd be sort of emphasising momentum an awful lot. So, so yeah, I think there is definitely something to be said for that. Um, but yeah, I think you're right in saying that. We've just got to go, um, just got to go all out because we can't really, you know, the club, the club as a whole will just be kicking itself if we make sort of fundamental mistakes at this stage. All right. Um, we'll move on to Adam's article now, which looks at outgoings. Um, obviously with the summer coming up, um, it's, it's going to be as much about outgoings as incomings, as it always is. And, and Adam, you've kind of looked at the rear guard that's left from Brendan Rodgers' era in terms of the Sturridges, the Milners, the Mignolets, the Lallanas. And, and I, I guess I'll let you take it away in terms of your thoughts on their futures um, and, and whether you think this is the crunch time for shipping some of those players out. Yeah, I mean, I probably wrote a similar article last, uh, last year around this time that I thought last year was the time to <laughs> make moves on some of these players, but you know my main point is that the our exit over our exits over this summer and how we manage uh, these players. You know we talked about the delicate situations that Klopp has in terms of reintegrating reintegrating players for this last stretch. It's also going to be really delicate how he deals with the squad in the summer. Um, a lot of big personalities, big wages, um, and the way that he handles that, the way that he and Edwards handle it. Uh, could be more important to the future of our success than the signings that we're talking about bringing in. Um, so you've got, as you said, James Milner. He is 33 now. Simon Mignolet is 31. Adam Milana is going to be 31 in May. Lavrin's going to be 30 in July. Uh, Sturridge, unbelievably, is still in his 20s. He's going to be 30 in September. Uh, and Henderson, he was good against... Mallorca or Malta, no Montenegro. Yeah, so I guess I guess we should probably hold on to him. Um, <laughs> got to get. In I know, a, I know, I know you're American. Got to get in you live job. in Europe. <laughs> you don't. You can't pretend you're living in America. Making these kinds uh, of excuses. I might. I might, I might actually. I, I might be. Uh, I might be spending the summer in Mallorca actually. But uh, so I had to get that in. But um, and then obviously you've got. I, I didn't mentioned these guys in the article but then in addition to that you've obviously got moreno and client that are already you know we're already assuming that those guys are on their way um 
you know, but it's really like the the previous six guys that I mentioned, and and you know, some of them like maybe Sturridge we sort of know is leaving. Lavern is rumored to have some interest in Italy. Mignolet has made some noise that he uh, wants to play, uh, which is obvious. And then, you know, I guess it's sort of Lalana, Milner, uh, and Henderson that are more uh, mysterious as to what their um, futures might be. But, you know, further to that, I mean, I, I, I'm i just making the point as well that you could argue that we'd, we'd have a stronger squad if some of these guys weren't blocking the path for some of the younger players who, um, you know, Marco Grudis especially, you know, we, we've seen every month there's, you know, tweets where he's, we see that he's won some award or he's just runner up for some award or whatever. He's, he's killing it in the Bundesliga essentially. And, and um, he's a guy also that, you know, just on the eye test, you'd think that he would rotate well with somebody like Fabinho. Um, and, then, and, you know, so beyond that, in the academy and the players that are sort of rotating in and out of the first team, you've got Kajana Hover, Rafa Camacho, uh, Yasser Luigi. There's been a couple of articles about him recently on some of the other sites. He's like a, he's, he's essentially Camacho on the left side. And then Rian, Rian Brewster is coming back from injury. Uh, just to go down some of the other like known names in the academy, Duncan and Gladsell, I think they're still like f- further away. They'll probably go out on loan uh, next year. And then Ojo, Woodburn, Kent Wilson, those guys look like they'll probably just miss on sort of reaching Liverpool's level, unfortunately. So, you know, so those guys, I guess my point is that like if, if you were able to integrate those guys into the squad for next year um, and had that, youth integrated into the depth into the depth of the squad where they would be able to like go up and down between the uh, U23s and the first team um, I think is you would just have a healthier squad and then assuming that we're probably going to bring in two let's call it let's be conservative and just call it like two more like uh, first team players right um, you know to me that's a healthier squad if you could clear some of those guys out that the, the you know, it's it's not even that. It'd be one thing I mentioned in the article. Like, it'd be one thing if some of these guys uh, from the Brendan Rodgers era were old guys, but they're consistent, which is usually uh, what we what we think of in a veteran. You know, oh, he's he's lost the step, but he's consistent. Well, these guys have lost the step, and they're the least dependable <laughs> players that we think of when when we when we associate with Liverpool. So. Um, you know, I, I I don't I don't have joy in saying that, but I just think that we'd be better off bringing in a youth movement. And then you know we we we've talked about on this show, we've talked about on me and Tom's show so much is every every week that there was such huge controversy in terms of Keda and Fabinho and why weren't they playing? And now finally Fabinho's playing, but Keda's not playing. Uh, you know, there needs to be more room for players like that. Uh, somehow they're blocked by the by these guys from the Rogers era which seems unfathomable for me and many others. And, you know, it'd be great if they had, uh, if they could be sort of expected to play um, week to week as well. So, um, so that's, that's sort of the point of it. I just, I, I think that some of these guys should be nudged towards the door a little bit faster than, uh, than, it, than it seems that they have been. And, um, you know, and I just, I don't, I also just don't think, 
you know, I think this uh, counter argument could be that while well, these guys are like the leaders in the in the change room or whatever, but I think that that's clearly not the case anymore when you've got big personalities like Van Dyke and and several others as well, um, who are the guys that are really producing for the team and are leaders. So I, I just don't think that that really uh, that really flies anymore. So yeah, to me, the time is up for those guys and and. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. These guys, like I said, they're on huge wages. It's not going to be easy to find homes for them. I'm, I don't think uh, some of them. I don't think they really want to leave either. So it'll. I think it'll just be really interesting to see how the club manages that um, as well as once we get into like May and June. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting article because there's there's points on both sides to be had. Um, I think you know these six players. They are players who are often talked about and often, you know, regarded as as people who should have left Liverpool a long time ago. But actually, you know, I, I know it's kind of a long shot this one, but devil's advocate and, and everything. Lalana made an impact against Burnley just the other week, so you know, James Milner continues to be an important player in this squad. Dejan Lovren, okay, he divides opinion like Marmite, but he, you know, he still has a contribution at times for this Liverpool team. Whether it's always positive is is a completely separate issue. Um, but Dave, what do you think in terms of, of this? Because is it kind of an argument youth versus experience? Because again, I'll use James Milner as an example. We're in a title race. You need experienced heads. You need to calm heads. You need composure. And I know one of you is probably going to point out that James Milner is the person who kind of instigated the mistake against Fulham, but he is a calm head. He's the one who, you know, slots in the penalty seven minutes later. He's the one that so often comes on for Liverpool and, and kind of exudes that sense of calm on everyone else. So is it a case of Klopp maybe is looking at some of these players and going, OK, you know, your time's up, but he can't just get rid of all of them and, and do it quickly because they are key in terms of their experience, in terms of, you know, their leadership. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite a tricky one because obviously we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So we can't really speak with much authority about, you know, the the level of influence that these sort of more experienced players are having on the squad. Um, but I think it is important, especially, especially in the position we're in now where we appear to be, um, going into a phase where we're going to be competing for like the top honors, um, for a good few years. And you do need, I think you do need those, those influencers who've been there and done it before. Um, as for the article on the whole, I'm, I'm sort of split on it because, um, I think some of the players that um, Adams mentioned, the likes of Henderson um, and Lovren, I think, though, I mean, at the risk of getting into a debate about those two players, which I'll try to avoid, I think those players um, are overly criticised um, and slightly underrated. But at the same time, I do, I do buy into the promoting youth argument. I think football is, like, at this very moment, changing in a way that the level of youth progression is going to be stepped up massively and because we have so many high profile success stories at the moment all around Europe I think clubs are going to be a lot more keen to you know throw young players in at the deep end straight away I think it is worth doing that because it's only going to benefit them you know if you look at Trent he's going to have so much experience even by the time he's you know 21 22 years old and that gives him such a good platform to go on to you know potentially become a club legend so I am torn on it. I think some of the players, you know, you don't necessarily have to sell the players. Um, 
you can just keep them and then you know if they're not delivering when they do get chances just it's just a case of you know give the opportunity to the young players if they deserve them more um but they could the ex- more experienced players could be important dressing room influences tom f- for your point of view um you know we're, we're talking here about I mean, as, as Dave said there, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. We, it's very hard for us to kind of talk about leadership, but at least on the face of things, you know, on paper, um, Adam kind of mentioned it before about how there's, there's a movement of leadership going on towards the likes of Alisson, towards the likes of Van Dijk. And, and they are two players who are very authoritative. They're very communicative. And we've seen earlier in the season, you know, Van Dijk was kind of marshalling Joe Gomez. He was teaching him in-game, um, on the pitch, off the pitch. He he was kind of there and being that kind of buddy for him. And so those players and their progression, they're still obviously only been at the club a, a very short space of time in comparison to, to players like Dejan Lovren and James Milner. But if we're taking away footballing ability from this argument at the moment, focusing on that leadership, is it a case of, again, I'll come back to you can't just or you shouldn't just get rid of six players who know what the club is about so quickly and just hope someone else is there to pick it up is it is it a case of Klopp knows that some of these players and again we'll come on to whether it's it's all of them who should go or just some of them Klopp knows that some of them need to go but he's slowly trying to kind of stunt the the movement if you like he's trying to do it in stages and phases to to kind of stop this big jolt happening in terms of right who's the next leader on this pitch again you know Jordan Henderson might be a good example because a lot of people are saying should he stay at the club which I frankly think is a completely separate non-issue um, but you know is there a slow movement of, of leadership going on here that Klopp is trying to kind of trying to use with Van Dijk and Allison? I think I think you're absolutely right you know players like Van Dijk and Allison are sort of naturally authoritative players and bringing in more leadership players is never a bad idea I think there's a couple of points to sort of make just on your main point before I go on to some of the other stuff Adam said um, I think the first thing to note is that you know age and experience doesn't necessarily equal leadership I've, that's which leads me on to my second point which is that even even amongst the group of sort of six players Adam's mentioned there are sort of a handful of players who you'd say yeah for Henderson and Milner obviously the two the captain and vice captain they are experienced and they do bring leadership roles to the table so clearly they're not players that are just going to go away and be replaced overnight um, whereas you look at someone, say, for example, uh, uh, Simon Mignolet, he's 31. He's, he's not a leader in the camp, is he? Probably not. Let's be honest. He doesn't. He's not a leader on the pitch, certainly, because he never plays. So he's a player that you could sort of say he doesn't. He he's one you could probably get rid of without necessarily losing the value of his experience. If that makes sense. Although, to be fair with goalkeepers, it's always a good idea to keep an experienced goalkeeper around. Um, I know a few people are keen on bringing in a more experienced backup goalkeeper as like a number two. Which makes sense because the thing is with goalkeepers, they're quite easy to replace very, very cheaply if you're lo- if you're not looking for a first choice one. Um, so if we did want to bring in someone to replace Mignolet, I, I, who would be happy to sit on the bench but would have experience, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be too difficult. Then you look at players like Sturridge. You know, Sturridge doesn't seem to be one of those players who's, who is bringing a lot to the table off the pitch, although it's hard to, as you say, it's hard to tell. So you can't imagine that losing someone like Sturridge would necessarily have a big impact on the squad. Um, but I think you're right in the sense that Klopp is not one of those players, who, one of those managers, sorry, who likes wholesale change. He likes to slowly but surely get certain players out and get certain players in. Um, I mean, just looking at the six, you know, we have Moreno, we haven't talked about, is likely to go. 
Mignolet is likely to go this summer, I think, plausibly. Um, I think Henderson will stay. I think Henderson should stay because I think not only is he a good leader in the camp, but he's also an experienced player and a good player as well. I think he brings something to the table. Not necessarily for every situation, but you can't sell all your midfielders. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, if you if you talk about getting rid of Milner, Henderson and Alana, then you've got your squad is now Fabinho, Genie, Cater. That's that's your midfield. And and Ox, to be fair. So you've got four yeah, midfielders I mean, obviously, left there. And obviously, I know, the, I know, easiest, the easiest thing is to... Is to keep Henderson another season and and leave Grujic in Germany another season. That's what he wants you know, as well. I, That's what I was going to say about Grujic. You know, he want he's actively said he wants to spend another year in Germany. And my thoughts on Grujic is basically he didn't get a full season in Germany this year because of injuries and and whatnot. Right. So you you've got a player in Grujic who is where he wants to be, where he's happy, where he's settled, and where the coach loves him. That's where you want him to be. You want, you know, where better for him to develop into into a world class midfielder than in a good league with a good club and a good manager where he's a key player. That's, you know, that that's perfect because he's guaranteed to play almost every minute that he's fit for Berlin next season, which means he's going to get a lot more football than he would at Liverpool and develop into a better player. And then you've got, say for example, Milner. I think his contract runs out summer next year, so you keep Milner for a year, get rid of Milner next summer when his contract runs out when he's 34. And then you've got Grealish coming then. So that's, you know, it's like Leanne says, the sort of the phasing out of the elder generation and bringing into the new ones. Um, what I would say is that you can't get rid of six players at once and then buy two because we don't have the young players to fill the gaps. Um, you know, you talk about Camacho, you talk about Hover. I'm sure they're good players, but they're not ready. If they, Because here's the thing, and I'm going to talk about Brewster in a second because I think he's a separate case. But if these players were ready, they'd be in the team. With Trent, he was in the team. As soon as he... The way he talks about Brewster, that's why he's happy to let Sturridge go. That's why he's happy to let Origi go because he—that's why he's—that's why there's mumblings. We're not going to sign Timo Werner because of Rian Brewster. So there's a situation where you've got Klopp saying these are players that I don't need who are older and not really contributing because I've got a young player coming through. So the way I take it is, and I think I think you're kind of right about these lads sort of blocking the new guard, but equally I think if the new guard were good enough, they wouldn't be blocked. If you know, I think this is. This is what what's probably going to happen with Brewster. He's good enough, so he's going to get so he's going to be playing. Because I think that's always the case with youngsters at Liverpool, right? And that's that for me is the big thing when people say like, "Oh, we need to get rid of X to let Y come through." If Y was good enough, Y would be supplanting X. Like, I, su- with, with, I, with, I suppose. But then then we get into the argument about how Klopp doesn't really he doesn't spontaneously put these players in and like discover them, quote unquote. You know, he he he. He's forced to put players in because of injury, and then he, like he, coach, he, coach, he coaches them up from that point. You know, I mean, that seems to be like the history I'm that he's had sure with that's Liverpool. Necessarily the case. When has that happened? Well, Trent came in because of Trent Klein's injury. Early. He was always going. Yeah, but Trent was always going to be in the squad. Trent just got accelerated into the first team for longer periods earlier than Klopp would have liked him to. Klopp's a manager who likes managing young players. Gomez Gomez played centre-back because of basically every centre-back out of Richard. Yeah, but again, he's a player who's just been jettisoned into the squad earlier than he might otherwise have been. That's not to say that they're not going to play. It's just to say that they're getting a more prominent role more, more quickly than they would have done because of injuries to others, which is how these things work in general. But it's clear that Klopp, they wouldn't be playing if Klopp didn't think they were good enough because... Let's you know he's he's shoehorned other players into positions. He's yeah. shoehorned Milner into Listen, fullback. He's, he's clearly he's clearly making some kind of judgment based on what's happening on the training pitch because 
Lalana, right? <laughs> and so, so something he's he's observing something on the training pitch, which is changing his mind. So, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, the the Brewster thing is kind of crazy at this point. Like, I mean, and I I can't wait to see the guy actually play, but he has been gone for 14 plus months, and so if Klopp is still uh, has has faith in him, that's that's a great manager to have right there if you're in Brewster. But I think to get back to the point of the article, I think you know you've got a handful of players there, and some of those players are going to be shifted out. Some of those players maybe should be shifted out, but won't. I mean, it, I, I do agree with you there. I think there's almost certainly going to be one or two of those players, plausibly Dejan Lovren, plausibly Adam Lallana, who probably, if we're being honest, should be moved out by now, but probably won't be. I, I think I think Mignolet will... I think Mignolet is up to Mignolet because I don't mind keeping Mignolet around as a backup keeper because we're not going to need him very, like, in, in all honesty. So I don't really care either way. Yeah, yeah. So, for me, for me, for me, uh, for me, like, the Mignolet thing is... You know, and I don't know how much you guys value like having when you get a goalkeeper like Allison. I just don't know how valuable it really is to have some kind of veteran back there when, especially when we're sort of bailing out of the the, the lower level cups, anyways, the domestic cups. You know, I, if if it was Kelleher or one of those guys in there, we've got spectacular goaltending prospects in the academy, anyways. Like. You know, if it was one of them, I don't know if anybody would know the difference. So, and then you're saving like tons of wages there, where you could use other places. So, for me, I wouldn't be bothered if we had one of the academy kids as the backup goaltender. Dave, what's your what's your take on this? Are any of the sort of of the cluster of players we've discussed? Are any are there any that you think we we absolutely should be keeping? Um, well, looking at it, I'd I'd only str- strongly say. Keep um, Henderson and Lovren. I think Lovren is a player who, um, you know, you take ten games from Dejan Lovren, in eight of them he'll play very well. Just the ones he doesn't play well in, um, are the ones that people focus on. And you could argue that that's fair enough when he's playing at such a high level. But I think generally he's a pretty reliable and pretty solid centre half. And um, Henderson, I think, is just a a good, useful player generally. So. You know, he's someone um, who's valuable to have in the squad. As opposed, as for the rest of them, I think Milner um, started the season very well. Has had a few sort of um, poor performances recently. I wouldn't object to him leaving if you know Klopp says to him, "Listen, you're going to get significantly less game time next season, so it's up to you." Mignolet, I think, will leave because he doesn't seem to be particularly happy. Sturridge um, isn't somebody who I think will be offered a new contract. I think he'll be sort of seen as probably a drain on resources, even though he's obviously contributed a few goals towards the start of this season. And as for Lallana, I know he played well against Burnley, but I I just don't think he has the end product we need. You know, he's a player that like I spent quite a long time trying to defend, but you know, most of the time when we see him, you know, the, the effort's always there. But I just don't think the the finishing touches often enough. But I think it, it's worth noting that we'll need to, we're going to need to replenish these departments as well. And I think we're going to need to bring in some quality because one of the differences between us and Man City is we both have depth, but City have genuine strength in depth. So I don't think we can just rely on promoting academy players if we do have sort of a semi-clear out. Yeah, for me the funny thing is like Milner's the oldest, but I probably 
mind him staying around the least if that makes sense i mean i guess the one caveat to that would be if we brought in somebody like brant or somebody somebody whose purpose was to be sort of like a swing midfielder attacker which is basically what melner is then then it would make sense where i mean you could keep him around but essentially he's not going to play so i don't know and then and for him personally i suppose you know who knows what his sort of affinity for leads is at this point but you know if if they come up i guess that would be an easy transition for him i think it's it's worth noting you know our squad at the moment isn't that deep klopp likes a small squad but our squad at the moment isn't that deep you know if you take out the minutes that henderson milner and lana have played in midfield this season we don't we'd need at least one more midfielder alongside ox you know as much if we if we get rid of Lovren, we have to buy a centre back. There's no two ways about it. You know, if we get rid of Mignolet, we need a backup goalkeeper. So these aren't players that we can just farm off and let the the likes of Hover or Camacho come in. We need to actually buy quality replacements for all of them. Well, I think Dave's bang on there. I think the other the other point is experience is more than just leadership. You know, you can't get rid of all the experienced players in your squad because you don't want to end up in a squad that's so young and so hasn't been there, hasn't been there, done that, that they don't have sort of ways to win and n- notions of winning titles because some of our squad have won titles, but the only sort of players who won sort of main European titles are Fab and obviously Milner. But that's the thing people forget. Milner's won the Premier League. Milner knows what it takes to win the Premier League. That's that's just something I think maybe a lot of people are kind of forgetting. And I know that's obviously just a, doesn't necessarily mean that much, but when you've got a squad that has so many players that are either young or in their prime, you do need one or two experienced heads who have a bit of something about them. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because it kind of refers to a wider argument in terms of football in that, you know, you've got this perpetual cycle of is it youth or is it experience? Who do you let in? Who comes in? And and Marco Gruic is kind of the, the perfect symbolisation of that because a lot of people are saying this is a guy who could replace James Milner when he, you know, goes back to Leeds, which he seems to be wanting to do either this season or next season. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's just an interesting article because it's it's all, at the end of the day, it's all down to opinion in terms of what you think of these players and what you think they symbolise for Liverpool. Because, especially in the case of someone like Dejan Lovren or Adam Lallana, it's almost like they symbolise the fact that we've not won anything in a long time. And um, I think, you know, that kind of buys into, buys into uh, are they players you want to see Liverpool keep or not? At the end of the day, you know, Liverpool have got a very good chance of winning the league or winning the Champions League this season. And it's going to be very dependent on continuing that development, continuing that progression. And so it'll be interesting to see what Klopp does in terms of the youth pitcher, in terms of the, the likes of Gruwich and I would say Harry Wilson, but I'm, I'm not sure that one's going to really come through, sadly. Um, but Adam, I'll give you the final word in terms of these six players, their futures and, and your kind of concept of youth versus experience yeah i think i think the last point i would make is that you know people who have researched klopp much more than i have going back to his bundesliga days they have said that he burns out especially midfielders you know in terms of the press and everything else so you know it's not just that these some of these guys are reaching an age where you'd want to think about uh showing them the exit anyway but you know when you're talking about Milner and Henderson and Alana specifically, um, you know, they, they, these guys just might not bounce back to a point of where uh, we think of them sort of in their prime. Um, and that's a factor as well. So, 
you know, uh, uh, these, uh, you know, especially with with Alana. Obviously, everybody remembers his his sort of stretch of maybe half a season where he was the key to the press. Um, and I, I, he's actually surprised me in terms of how he's come back in this season. He's he's looked okay, um, and he's looked fit. And so, uh, you know, who knows what's in the future for these guys? But you know, and what athletes can do these days is different than what they could have done even five years ago. So, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me that we we have leaders in the team. We have players who've accomplished things in the team. Um, uh, we have the structure there, and and. For, for me, just in terms of the athletes that we have that are sort of being blocked from coming in, when you talk about Grujic and, and Camacho and Hover and some of these players, um, I'd be excited to see some of them have a path to actually get significant playing time. So that's what I'm looking forward to for next season. All right. Um, we'll end there and, and go to plug. So I'll go to you first, Dave. Have you got anything you want to plug apart from your article, obviously? Uh, nothing specific. Um, what I'll be writing after the Spurs game at the weekend and then a couple of times over the next few weeks as the sort of title fights develop and then I'll also say um, you can follow me on Twitter as well which is just Dave underscore Comerford And Adam, anything from you? Uh, for me, I just got to plug uh, Rate Don't Hate. Me and Tom will either be very excited or very depressed uh, so look for that around Monday or Tuesday and Tom, anything for you? I suppose you probably want to um, promote your own show as well. Um, well, I'm successfully plugged, right? <laughs> so um, I've written an article on Bobby. Um, I feel like he's been good this season, but he's not been as probably not been as good as he was last season. And given that he's supposedly one of our key players, he needs to be a player who's delivering consistently in the running. Is basically what that's about. All right, good stuff. Um, yeah, make sure you obviously give give Dave and Adam a follow on Twitter. Um, the podcast will be out in the coming days and uh, we'll be back next week. So thank you to Dave and Adam for joining us and thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week where hopefully Liverpool have beaten Spurs. Network.